Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. We've always needed these three things. We've needed to turn content into money. We've needed to understand and act on learning in as fast as possible way in the least cost possible way, so that when we learn something, we change what we do. And the third thing we've needed to do is we've needed to organize and execute in a very efficient and effective way. Those three things have always been what companies need. And I'm willing to bet 35 years from now, those are going to be the same three things. 35 years ago, we didn't have D2C. We didn't have e-com that you guys have mastered, right? But we had commerce. This is called something else. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. So Sarah, there's this interesting stat that founders that take their company to IPO actually founded their companies in their mid 40s. And I've reflected on that for a long time, because I feel that starting a company at that point in your career, like you have perspective, you have pattern recognition, versus a founder that starts their company in their college dorm room or in their early 20s. So what does that make you? At a disadvantage, to be honest, I constantly feel one of my weaknesses as a leader is that I don't have that pattern recognition at my disposal. You know, I went to college, I started my career at ad agency, I worked at Gap, and then I decided to start at Micmac. Now I manage nearly 150 employees, but I wasn't doing that at Gap. And I have a lot of respect for tons of people around me who have way more pattern recognition than I do. Well, I think you're selling yourself short. But (laughs) the reason why I'm saying that is, is because the, the flip of the pattern recognition is not being beholden to themes of the past that might not necessarily be themes and not being afraid of making mistakes of the past as well, because you're just doing what you think is right for the right now. And so sometimes it's almost like better for you to kind of come in a little bit cold without the pattern recognition. So long as you learn the concept of pattern recognition and or surround yourself with advisors that will help you along that way. I think it's that balance that gets you to where you need an inability to listen, an inability to surround yourself with people that will compliment you. That's stupid. I totally agree with you. I think there there's 
the asset side of it as well. And, but when it comes to people leadership, there's so much power in learning from people who've done it over and over and, and done it at great scale. And you just brought this wonderful gentleman into my life that you've had a longstanding relationship with that I think has a very strong perspective based on his years of experience in the industry. I think one of the things I love about Clive is the more things change, the more they see the theme, but he is an expert in pattern recognition. And that can be pattern recognition about building brands, pattern recognition about talent, but he's also astute enough to know when when the game has changed to be able to pivot and identify what's the nuance of the moment. Yeah, and we're going to get into a lot of it on the show. But there was one part that I encourage you guys to all write down now. Don't worry, he will repeat it towards the end of the episode. But we get into how talent is the greatest asset of a company. And Clive shares an equation that his former colleague who was the head of science that Kimberly Clark came up with. And I, I think it's really powerful. So it's about employee performance. And employee performance, in his words, is not about day-to-day management of an employee. It is the employee's potential, plus how a manager or leader drives encouragement to unlock that potential, minus how does a manager or leader in the overall business remove obstacles. That equals employee performance. I wrote it down because I think as a day-to-day people manager and leader, if you think about your actions and you're moving at warp speed and you hold yourself to this equation, you can actually start to ask yourself, how well am I doing at unlocking an employee's performance? Yeah, the obstacle removal is something that we don't recognize nearly as much as how accountable we need to be for that. But that in the context of the total equation is a very important memory sticker. I know I'll be bringing it to my team. Well, on that note, let's bring Clive onto the show. Today we have the man, the myth, the legend, Clive Serkin, who is currently executive director at Screen Dragon and also wears like 8,000 other hats. I think you're working harder now possibly than ever before with the number of hats that you're wearing, Clive. There's a few hats, and I would say let's major on the myth and less of less on the legend. But yeah, we're wearing a few hats and having a ball. So it's fun to be on this. I've been desperate to get on a conversation with the two of you. So thanks for having me on. That is silly. We would have you any day. I'm glad that we were able to make it work. Let's contextualize for our audience. So our audience is made up of a lot of different people, some in marketing, some in sales, some in tech, some in e-com specific. So Clive, you have seen a thing or two in your career, and I very much have been uh, lucky enough to know you for more than a decade, starting from when I stalked you when you were the uh, CMO of Kimberly Clark. It is a legitimate that I stalked you. True story. True story. In a a very good and clean way. Okay, but I did stalk you. I take it as a compliment. You should. That's why I was stalking you. It's not like I was looking to date you. Don't worry, Kate. (laughs) We're all cool. But both of your role as CMO of Kimberly Clark, I got two tours of duty with you as chief growth officer at Kellogg's. And one of the reasons I did stalk you was that you have this incredible knack for seeing that hidden obvious, recognizing those canaries and coal mines. What do you think, taking a step back, you were in Ken last month, like, what do you think are the big blind spots for brands these days? It's funny. And actually, it's more tragic than funny, to be honest. 
if I sort of go back and think about the answer to that question over the course of my 33, 34, whatever years plus being in the business, sad to say the same blind spots as you put them tend to come up over and over and over and over and over again. You know, it's, there's a definition for that. And in my mind, I think there are three that keep coming up and they dress themselves up differently, but ultimately it's the same three things that I see over and over and over again that sort of become debilitating for companies. One of them is humans, as in humans become destructive, either politics or fear or toxic behavior, and that sort of kills business. The second one is being stuck, as in stuck in a way, whether there's muscle memory or institutional behavior that's sort of forced on a company and they just can't get out of the way of themselves. And the third one is what I call organizational and or process friction, as in huge amount of waste. It doesn't matter whether it's a, like a Fortune 100 or a startup. I consistently see huge amount of waste in organizations because the people in the company are either serving the machine or doing work because that's the work we do and not sort of be able to stop that. So I tend to see those three things keep coming up in, under different headings and different names, dressed up in different ways. And at the end of the day, you land up sort of like misallocating and burning resource and burning out humans. You land up feeding that beast and not addressing the real problem on the table. That's the key to unlocking growth, which is all of our jobs. And then you're not spending energy looking around corners, which is really the fundamental job so that you can stay ahead of the curve. So it's a long-winded way of saying, sadly, we don't seem to learn from our past mistakes as companies and humans. Well, that doesn't give me a lot of hope. <laughs> I mean, just be clear, not at all. There are beautiful, shiny exceptions to the rule. But if you ask me what is like the dark stuff, that's the dark stuff that keeps coming up. Got it. And so now I feel like you are seeing around corners every day. What are you up to? I'm really doing the same thing I've always done, just doing it in a different sort of place. As I think about it, I've always seen myself as, as a catalyst. I don't feel like I'm smart enough to solve problems, but I think I'm fairly good at finding smart people and putting smart people together and helping them do what they're great at. And my sort of thing is, how do I get people together and enable them? And if you think about my career, I've done it exactly that as an agency person for 17 years. I've done that as an operator, as CMO and Chief Growth Officer, Sarah, when we, we were together. And now I'm just doing it as an investor and as an advisor and a board member. But the job is really the same. And it's a lot of fun. I would say each time I've moved through those, I've traded, you know, one set of pain points for another set of pain points and I'm progressively having more fun. And I'd say this is the most fun I'm having, but it's the same job. It's kind of interesting. You can call it the same job, but working for some of the largest companies in the world, you're also now helping a number of startups in various industries. I'm glad it's fun. Change management is something you've always been known for. And change management is easier with smaller companies. On the flip side, it should be maybe easier because you have more resources in bigger companies. You've always been a change agent. What are the barriers and enablers to affecting change? I'd go back to where we started. Whether it's a Fortune 100 or whether it's a sort of startup, whether it's pre-seed or pre-revenue or Series D, it doesn't really matter. 
there are profound differences and they sort of track to scale size as in number of people and number of dollars. But at the end of the day, when humans are involved, that's the impediment to change. And it's funny, right now I'm having a, I'm in the middle of an exercise with an incredibly interesting company that's been on a rocket ship growth trajectory for the first three years of their life. And they've hit the inevitable first bump. And the talent in the company is incredible. Now, tiny company, but the impediment to them addressing the current sort of crises that they're facing, which is inevitable in any business, is the same impediment that I would have experienced in scenarios that Kimberly Clark and Kellogg and anyone else is experiencing at any large major company, which is the humans can't get out of their own way. We're talking about like really smart, accomplished humans because the crisis of the day prevents them from sort of stepping back and saying, the way I've looked at things and the way I've operated this business that got me thus far and got me the success that got me is not necessarily the way I've got to look at it and operate the business going forward. And it's so hard to stop doing that. A, you're in the sort of cycle of repetition and you know it and you know it and you've done it and it's the way we work. And the other is you're in such a crisis that you can't stop working to step back and go banging our head against the wall is just not going to get us the right answer. And it's human. And so the, the, the way to help them get out of the way of themselves is to sort of break that cycle. Now, there are other issues, categories, you know, all of us have been in our careers have faced the sort of categories that are coming off and you've got to reinvent the product and margin compression because of input costs and everyone's dealing with that now. But really change management comes down to people willing to step back and accept an alternate way of going at things. And the other part of it is what I'd say is fear. And that's probably more debilitating than muscle memory. Because muscle memory, eventually people go like, I'm starting to get like days because I'm smashing my head against the wall. I'm willing to accept another way because this way hurts. But fear is much, much, much more paralyzing. And humans are preconditioned to fear the unknown, which is why they get paralyzed. And that's a big, big part of what you have to address in change management. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. You know, in your 30 plus years of of navigating CPG, and as you're working with these smaller companies, are the bumps in the road the same? 
Like, are they ones that you've seen before? Or are there new macroeconomic factors, headwinds or tailwinds that you feel these companies are navigating? Same. The sameness is is sort of deafening to me. And and to be clear, they dress up differently. Like every company needs to master converting content to commerce. All right. 25 years ago, when we were working on Altoids, that content was billboards. Okay. You know, 35 years ago, when I was working on, I don't know, Frosted Flakes, that content was a 30-second TV ad. Today, it's, you know, digital content. It's it's TikTok. It's you name it. And back then, commerce was buying and checkout. It wasn't in Walmart, let's say, Loblaws. Now it's DDC and e-com. But so they called different things, but at the core, they're exactly the same things. And maybe I'm wrong, but I really don't think they're different. And I think we're very good at sort of trying to create new names and new things and new industries to name these things. And that's fine, but that tends to become a bit of a problem in my view. Sarah will attest to my sort of maniacal sort of hatred for the word digital marketing or the words, <laughs> the phrase. Wait, 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 wait. Go, go, go deeper. Why do you hate it so much? Well, first of all, let me just say for the record, because part of this is me recovering. I handled it horribly. Rachel, for your information, back in the day, I decided that we couldn't use the word digital marketing, okay? And I still maintain that the underlying premise was right, but the way I executed was horrendous because banning the use of words is just not a smart thing to do because it basically drives people underground. But but in my defense, Your Honor, what I was trying to get to is When you give something a name, like in this case, digital marketing, what you're really saying is two things. One, you're creating an environment where people will go and carve out budget and go and do random acts of digital. Dangerous. Two, you're legitimizing analog marketing by definition. And so what I was seeing in companies, specifically ours at the time, was a little digital marketing group growing up on the peripheries doing random acts of digital when the conversation should have been, we are building brands in a digital world. Everything's digital, even if it's analog. Like, so I, what I was trying to get at in a very clumsy, classically unnuanced Clive kind of way was to get us to stop creating names and then creating little boxes for things to happen. And I think we consistently do that and create our own problems, well intentioned, but we create more problems for ourselves. But that's this industry. We just name yep. a bunch of things. Then we hire lawyers. We make things grossly more expensive than they need to be. There you go. And I mean, I didn't want to be the negative one in this relationship. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's weird because it's good and bad, right? You know, it's like, again, it's like, if you say, what do companies need today? There are the exact same things that every company's always needed. As far back as my, like, every time we have this conversation about my my experience, I realize that I'm freaking old. But anyway, we've always needed my 35 years and seven years and 100 years. We've always needed these three things. We've needed to turn content into money. We've needed to understand and act on learning in as fast as possible way in the least cost possible way. So that when we learn something, we change what we do. And the third thing we've needed to do is we've needed to organize and execute in a very efficient and effective way. Those three things have always been what companies need. And I'm willing to bet 35 years from now, those are going to be the same three things. Now, in order to do that, we do different things. So 35 years ago, we didn't have D2C. 
We didn't have e-com that you guys have mastered, right? But we had commerce. This is called something else. And so on the one hand, the degree of nuance and professionalism and sophistication that's at the table in terms of your world of, let's say, e-com, right? Or commerce, digitally enabled commerce, data-enabled commerce is phenomenal. But because we name them and trademark them and create all this lingo, we hurt ourselves in doing so, if that makes any sense at all. It absolutely does. But in many ways, as the world has gotten more nuanced and people need to get more specialized, you know, naming then will attract the right talent. And you've been known to say that talent solves everything. That's a very powerful statement. I think it's very clear, but would love for you to share with everyone in your words what that really means. Well, I mean, there's no question in my mind. Like if you strip away any situation you're in and God can only do one thing to solve it, I got to believe you're going to get to, I've got to have the right people in the room. All the things that we do, we can rent and buy and make. But the one thing that is the real differentiator, if you just keep asking the question, so what do we need? What do we need? What do we need? You're going to get to a human. And the greatest companies, the most successful companies, if you look at them, it tracks to a collection of individuals that have come together in a way that's beautiful and unique. That's talent. And I am surprised, relatively speaking, how low talent ranks in terms of importance at the executive level. And I'm talking not in the words they use and the speeches they give, but the time that they dedicate and the quality of time and the quality of actions that executives dedicate towards talent management. And I'm happy to talk at length about it. And then the other thing that's sort of striking to me when it comes to talent is how much time companies spend on managing talent, which I don't think is value creating, versus enabling potential. If there's only one thing a company can do, important, like, well, and everything else would be like good, but if they could only excel at one thing, I would say to them, make it talent, but not talent management, talent potential enablement is where I'd be going. I totally agree with you. You know, I've been building my company for eight years and it's so clear that talent is the asset. I also find it the hardest thing to unlock. It's incredibly hard. If it was as simple as there's good talent and bad talent, it'd be easy, right? There's a ton of really good talent, but in the wrong role Mm -hmm. or in the wrong situation or the wrong team. And we're not nuanced enough as companies to understand and manage that because we so far, like, think about it. Like, I used to be super proud of Kimberly Clark, and, and I still am in terms of their commitment at the time that I was there. I can't talk to you now, but at the time there, there was an extraordinary amount of time and energy committed to talent management. I mean, we would get together the most senior leaders of the organization for days to discuss our talent, meaningful conversations about talent. But in retrospect, and, and I think that was fantastic. Don't, don't get me wrong. But in retrospect, the majority of the talent was trying to put people into boxes. And we were talking about performance management. And interestingly, during that time, I was in a very deep relationship, professional relationship 
with one of the most beautiful minds that I've encountered and still encountered in, is a gentleman called Pete Dalkamara. Pete is the chief science officer of Kimberly Clark and an unbelievably sort of Renaissance thinker. And he used to talk about performance. He had this formula that I don't know if it's his or derived from something that doesn't bother me, but, but the notion was performance is a consequence of potential plus encouragement minus obstacles, which is really interesting. But performance is the consequential outcome. Don't talk about that. Devote your energy to, if you start with the presumption that everyone has infinite potential, what does encouragement look like? And I'm not talking like rah-rah sort of cheerleading bullshit, right? I'm talking about tangible, meaningful encouragement. And how do you remove obstacles so that these people can fulfill their full and unlimited potential? And if you have that as the ethos of your talent management capability in a company, what would happen? I'm willing to bet like pretty amazing things would happen. And by the way, you would talk about them not as individuals, but as individuals in a role as part of a team and how that works. So how do you drive encouragement minus removing obstacles equals potential? No. So performance is equals potential. So that your starting point is you have an innate potential plus encouragement minus obstacles. So how do you take raw potential? What does encouragement look like? And how do you remove obstacles? Mm-hmm. And most companies don't do encouragement well. They do it on a very superficial level in a very one-dimensional way. And most companies are unbelievably nuanced and professional and specialized in putting up obstacles, particularly the big ones to be fair, but all companies are like unbelievably great at putting up obstacles. I mean, I see it in my role at Screen Dragon where companies buy technology and and you guys see it under the headline of this is going to be great. It's going to drive efficiency, blah, blah, blah. And what you find out is people are spending more time feeding that platform, feeding the beast and managing the technology than actually getting the output that that technology was designed for. And that's just one example. So it's like, ask yourself a question, how much of the well-intentioned things you're doing are actually putting another rock in the backpack of your people so that they like, they just get to the end of the day exhausted because they spend all their time feeding the goddamn beast and not doing their freaking job. I'm honestly going to put that equation on a sticky note on my computer because <laughs> I think it's, it's so powerful to, for you as a leader and a manager to measure your actions. Like, how are you leveling up to this equation? It's really, really powerful. Well, and I wish I would have had that conversation with myself, you know, 10 years ago, because as as I think back and go like, I'll never forget this. I was in a meeting. Luckily, for most of my career, I had leadership teams who were like really strong and used to like beat the crap out of me and like tell me the truth and like prevent me from doing more of my more destructive things. But I remember there was a set where I was like, we're going to have this meeting and blah, blah. And they were like, look at me and go like, seriously? And I go, yeah. And I go, do you understand how much work goes into those presentations? And we had a lot, and they were like, when you swan in with the executive team for your big strategy meetings, there's a month of work that goes into a 30 page goddamn presentation just to make you feel happy. I got to believe 99.999% of leaders don't really want to be stroked. Okay. But they just don't think about that when you call a meeting or ask for a presentation, you're not thinking about the 
transactional cost that you're imposing on an organization and that's placing obstacles in the way of people. Like I, I try to do something which sort of partially worked, which was like, instead of me being the last person you present to, let's make me the first person you present to. And instead of saying, here's the recommendation, let's talk about what success looks like. So that when we get to the end of this exercise, it's sort of a not very exciting meeting because we know what the outcome is. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to spend all this time sort of preparing for the meeting. Yep. Um, and that's just one example. But I, I just think good people do really bad things without thinking about it. Clive, you're full of knowledge, but we have to ask you our famous last question, which is what's the bravest thing that you've ever done? It's the bravest thing I've ever done. I know the smartest thing I've ever done was get married to Kate, but the bravest thing I've ever done, well, not get married, was to convince her to marry me. But I think the bravest thing I've ever done is walk away from things. I've been really blessed to be in great sort of professional situations. I, I, I've been really lucky. I've, I've I've lucked into roles and I've lucked into teams and scenarios and, and mentors. It's just been incredible. And it's really easy to sort of stay at it because it's comfortable and it's good and it's rewarding and, you know, all the safe stuff. But the bravest thing was to walk away from it and open another door. And you don't know what's going to be on the other side of the door, but I've always had in my head, like, there are very few doors that you go through that you can't go back through. Why not go through them and see what happens? And in, and I don't think there's a science. In, I've never been a nuanced sort of decision maker, but it's like intuitively, if it feels like an interesting door to go through, your gut tells you to go through it. And you'll figure out what's on the other side. And if it ain't right, you'll go back through the door. And so the three or four doors that I've, gone through and therefore the things that I've walked away from they were wonderful I, I think probably among the braver things I've done um, and have been just unbelievably rewarding and a great return on investment is in in terms of joy and then you know walking away like at the end I'll say at the end the end of the last chapter my corporate chapter because it's so easy to keep grinding away at a corporate role and keep going and keep going and keep going. And you go like, boy, did I have the last four years, the quality of time that I've been able to dedicate to professional stuff, but personal stuff has been unbelievably rewarding and made me a better person. So I guess I just rambled on that I could have done that in about 30 seconds, but there's your answer. <laughs> Thank you, Clive, for sharing. So many of our listeners have followed your career path. So I'm sure hearing your next chapter will be extremely inspirational for them. It's been a joy. And I, all I just say is there's so little downside to decision-making, make decisions and go. And there's no right answer. Just pick an answer and then make it right. And amazing cool shit happens in life. And if you just do good to people, good things will happen in my view. It's a simple view. Look at you two, exhibit A and B. Thanks so much. It's been fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brain or 
or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.